What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to episode 195 with my guest Todd Glass. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go check it out. Fill out a survey. Let us get to know you. See how other people filled out surveys, uh, sharing their deepest, darkest secrets. Um, you can also read blogs. You can support the show financially. Or as I like to say, you can go there, put your thumb up your ass, and go fuck yourself. Which may be a full day. So you might, you might want to make sure you're well-rested if you're going to do one of those. Um want to mention that I am coming to Toronto again to be a part of the Rendezvous with Madness Film Festival. And I'll be interviewing uh, former NHL goalie Clint Malarchuk. Um, the, uh, it's going to be a live recording of the podcast. And uh, it's going to happen on Saturday, November 15th. I think I want to say around 7, 7 p.m., either late afternoon or early evening. And um, if you just Google Rendezvous with Madness, um, you'll, you'll find it on the schedule. I, I think I'll also put a link up on uh, my website to it. Um, what else did I want to mention? I think that's about it. This is a uh, survey I want to read. Um, oh, you know, one other thing I wanted to mention, too, uh, in Todd's uh, interview, we we never got into the fact that, uh, I'm not sure we even talked about the fact that he has uh, ADHD, and um, there was so much other stuff to talk about, it. but as I told him when I was editing the podcast, it was like, wow, Todd definitely does have ADHD. His uh, his thoughts come a, a mile a minute, um, but he's doing, uh, he's doing okay with it. He has a way of... Uh, of uh, managing it um, outside of meds and I haven't been able to connect with him to find out exactly what that is because I'm a lazy piece of shit. Look at that. Look how I was just able to find a tiny opening and put myself down. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey 
and it's filled out by a woman who, or a guy who calls himself Capital Mum and about uh, having borderline personality disorder. He says, every interaction I have is intended to make sure that the other person will not neglect or leave me. Nothing is more important than feeling important. This is the uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Smashley Ashley and about her anxiety. She says, constantly obsessing over the look someone gave me or the thing I said that I wish I hadn't. And the more I obsess, the more depressed and angry at myself I get. Boy, do I relate to that one. Um, uh, having a, a physical handicap, being um, severely but not, not totally hearing impaired, she says, it's like my world belongs to other people and I cannot speak the language. And even though I'm very bright, I'm looked upon as an idiot because I don't seem to catch the simplest jokes. Uh, snapshot from her life, I no longer trust my own mind to give me reality. For example, I will be at my daughter's school to pick her up and start wondering if I'm really a mom with a six-year-old daughter if it's the, or if it's the year 2050 and I'm some elderly woman who's escaped from a nursing home or other institution and I'm only imagining... It's 2014. Thank you for that. Um, this one is filled out by a guy who calls himself Travis Mumbles. In a snapshot from his life, he says, I often stare into the eyes of those who, who trust I know what I'm doing, looking to see if they can tell I'm not there. I think I understand what he's saying with that one. Either way, it's fucking deep and heavy. Uh, thank you for that, Travis. Uh, and then I wanted to read this email I got from, uh, she wants to be called Cha Cha Cha. And she wrote me and she said, um, I had a moment yesterday where I didn't know where to turn and you popped in my head. This has been a rough month. My father is ill and I moved him to be with me. I have taken all the responsibility and I still can't do enough. He's been sick for way too long and I understand why he is depressed. But today he began to refuse treatment. He is done fighting insurance, the pain, everything. I completely understand why he wants to, but then I can't. He is committing suicide, essentially. Two weeks of no dialysis treatment, and that will be his end. This makes me sick. I'm going to get him to speak to a psychologist, and I have hope uh, that will bring him relief. Anyways, I don't know if there is much you or anyone else can say, but I felt like you would um, be someone who would understand. And yes, I think I'm going to talk to someone as well. And uh, I wrote her back and I said, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I can't imagine what a burden that must be. I think talking to someone is a great idea and I'd encourage both of you to do it. Uh, I don't know if depression is distorting his reality or if he's being realistic about it. Now, let's assume it's the latter, that, that he is being realistic about his choices. Here are my thoughts. Um, although I probably shouldn't weigh on in this because I've never been in a similar experience, but you know me, I can't keep my opinions to myself. My feeling is it's your dad's life and it's his choice. I think it's healthy for you to let him know your feelings about it, how his leaving will affect you emotionally, and being aware that that if you can keep and be and being aware that if you keep repeating it, that it's no longer sharing your feelings but trying to change him, which we can't. Not accepting his decision um, might be something that hurts whatever time you do have left with him. It's possible he might need someone to say, I understand. I'm so sorry you're in so much pain and that you feel this is your best option. I can't imagine how hard that might be, but know that I love you and I will be here for you in whatever way I can. 
I think you could say he is committing suicide, but if the quality of his life is only going to get worse, another viewpoint might be that he is surrendering to a process that is human, inevitable, and universal. I don't feel the same way about people who are in pain from mental illness and afraid to seek help or don't believe it will help because they have not explored all possibilities to get better. Of course, the difficulty with mental illness is that it tells us we've explored them all when we usually haven't. I hope that you appreciate how successfully I'm adding to your burden by probably confusing you. It's a talent I'm quite proud of. The important thing is I'm getting to hear myself talk, and I think your dad would appreciate that. Oh, God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. I cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got into therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> like a... I'm here with Todd Glass, who uh, I have to say is one of my favorite people to riff with. When you walk into a room, I truly get giddy. Like, oh, I'm going to get to play. Um, you, you truly bring an energy to, to a room that is not only infectious, but it, like in a good way, it's childlike. It, it's... Well, I, I love that you say that because you know how sometimes like, everyone likes to get compliments. It feels nice, yeah. but then sometimes it's, it feels awkward. Yeah. But like inside, I can say it this way better, but like after all that inside, it, it always feels great because I want it to be like that, and I love it. And that's the, the word you used, giddy, is the word I always think. I love that word because I feel giddy, and I also feel, I giggle. I go, you, you know do. What? You're such a good, a good laugher. Yeah, I love to be funny, but I also love to be the the recipient of yes. the straight person for somebody else. And and I don't have to have anything, you know, dramatic happen in my life to just. I've said this a million times to go. Fuck, I get to hang out with comedians and act like I'm in seventh grade for the rest of my life. I, I love Whatever it. Whatever grade you pick, you know what I mean. It, yeah, because it. I, that's the reason we got into this is to is to have that is to be able to keep playing to. To yeah. not have to, you remember looking at adults and going, God, I, how did, when did they become boring? Well, you know, and it, it happens to people at weird ages. Some people, it happens at 28, 30, 31. You know what I mean? Like we, people have it happen earlier than you would think. But I do remember my parents, um, I, you know, now I understand why when anybody writes a book, it all, they always go, I talk about this in the book. And I thought, well, why do I do that now? Like, if it's in the book, am I afraid people are going to read? Maybe it's because you're afraid people are going to read the book and then go, oh, we talked about that on the podcast. Like, you know, as a comedian, you would never do your material. And but your try book to... is different. But your book is different. So, it's okay to retread. So I reference yeah. stuff. So, 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 but I, that's why I think out of paranoia, I always go, so as I talk about it in the book. But um, when my parents, when we were growing up, they had us very young and I remember some of their friends would come upstairs when we were sleeping and like jump on our bed and be silly with us and I'm like god when I get older I want to be like that only in this case uh, they were probably like 24 
<laughs> they were 24 years old, 25 years old. I'm like, oh, they were. They might have been even younger than that. Wow. But that's, you know. You are uh, originally from the, the East Coast, right? You know what? For what it's worth, in case anyone's a court stenographer listening to your show, they probably were about 26. So okay. just in case. What uh, were you going to say? <laughs> uh, you're originally from the, from the East Coast, originally from Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yes. Uh, you, your book, which I just finished reading, is uh, is called The Todd Glass Situation. And for those of you that don't know uh, Todd or what his situation was, uh, it was that he was in the in the closet for 40-some years, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, since, yeah, well, since since birth, I started. <laughs> I remember, too, someone asking me, what's your deal? Um, yeah, and, and I, and I, uh, I think I, I say, also say in the book that that term, but that's not one of the terms that I don't like that I think other people have to stop using. No, that's a fine term, and when you say it, everyone knows what you mean. Just, it's a thing within me. Yeah. I said that I wish it was bust out of the shed <laughs> because it's a little more manly, you know, it's like. You you uh, came out on Mark Maron's podcast about two years ago. About yeah, almost two years ago. And uh, you were very nervous. I was when I listened back, and you know, it, so many things are in my own head. But for what it's worth, I'll put it out there. Um, I didn't talk about this my whole life. Although I didn't want it to come my identity, I'm always paranoid that someone will go, well, he didn't want it to be his identity. He sure talks about it. Because, you know, they happen to listen to two or three podcasts where, yes, I'm, I'm able to talk about it now, even though I've gone back to my regular life and my, I do my act and it's not, you know, my whole act isn't about it. Uh, but I can if it wants to be. It can be if I want it to be. And I'm promoting a book and I'm on your show. And, yes, now in times like this, I can talk about it. And uh, – a little bit nervous, not now, but when I first started to, but it also feels really good. It's like, yeah, you should be able to talk about your life. But I was so nervous that when I listened back to it, I do get that some people, even from an affectionate point of view, if you listen to the opening when I called him the day before it was going to drop. So we record it on a day and then three days later it dropped, I called him because I know, okay, we did it, but now it's going to drop. And it sounds like, you know, I might be dying of cancer. I'm like really soft-spoken. I'm very... And, yeah, I get someone going, God, I, I love Todd to death, but he's not dying of cancer. But I was scared shitless. How could, how could you not be? And, and I have to say, after I listened to it, uh, a couple of people that I talked to, that I said this exact thing. That was an hour or so of the most powerful podcasting I've ever heard because you were so transparent and you, you, were, you were just so human and, and real about it and you – and you expressed yourself in a way that was um, so beautiful. It was just beautiful. I was, uh, I, I just, I just wanted to, to hug you. Well, I, thank you. I felt, you know, I felt like there were so many, besides doing it for my own, you know, own reasons of it would make me breathe easier and I knew it would be better for me. I also thought I had some, a lot of things to say, like, you know, and so I, I felt good when I got in the car. You know, you know how some comedians, like I'm sure, you know, some can, I'll criticize myself, but I also have the ability to go, you know, I felt good. And I did. When I got in the car, I felt like I felt heard. I felt like I got everything out that I wanted to get out. So, yeah, it was, it was. Uh... And, and touch on, if you would, one of the things that finally pushed you to, to, to do it, which well, you would touch on in the, in the book. Yeah, well, you know. I, on a podcast, it's always I always uh, don't I don't mind talking about this, but in print, I hate it because it could come off uh, 
self-grandizing. Is that the word? Yeah, but it so doesn't when you talk about it. But but I think in the, in this context yeah. it does. It was for me number one, obviously because I had wanted to do it for a, you know maybe five years. I'd started really talking about it, but there was just a lot of kids in the media. Look, it's always happening, but it happened to be in the media and social media a lot and and the news killing themselves. And I really remember going. You know, you're just giving validity to that it's something worth hiding. And although, believe me, I understand anybody that is, you have to do it when you're ready. I'm not one of these people that's going to, you know, bust out of the shed now that we've established that term and and then give every give somebody else shit for it. You know, you got to do it when you're ready. But I did bother me I, because I knew how much it made me breathe easier when I was I forget what age there was a baseball coach. I think a baseball coach or a baseball player who wrote a book. And I saw them talking about it on the news. And just that, I never bought the book because I was scared to go into a bookstore and buy it. But just that, because he seemed like a regular guy, not like overly masculine, not overly eff uh, effeminate, um, that I could relate with. And and that's another thing that I, I would never, I don't say in print because I want to make it very clear. If somebody is effeminate, and by the way, there's a ton of straight people too, not faking it. I know we all know there's people that are effeminate because they're they're not straight. But there's also a lot of people that are effeminate that hide it that are straight. A lot of people hide their identity. And um, so my point is when I say that, it's not because I think if somebody's effeminate, I don't want to be one of those people that goes, oh, even I don't. No, whoever you are, there's certain people that are effeminate. And if that's who they are, they deserve to have a dignified life and be who they are, not fucking hide it. But so my point is, but I didn't relate with that. That wasn't some of the baseball player I did. I go, oh, that seems like me. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of young kids that listen to podcasts and they, you know, go out to all the shows. And I thought, you know, if it could help somebody else, then, you know, that's the part that seems so. If yeah. I could just help somebody else. But let me tell you, watching the YouTube clips, no bullshit. Because it was, I was the it gets better clip. Yeah, it was a it, it gets better. I was flipping around on that, and then when you get that, it brings up something else that's related to that, and that was like, oh wait, I think they're helping me right now. Thirteen year old kid. I remember one specific thirteen year old kid standing in front of his bed. His dog was laying on the bed and just laying there, didn't care, obviously, you know. <laughs> and uh, he has a hacky sack and he's jumping it up and down, uh, you know, uh, throwing it in the air, and um. He says, uh, well, it's like his video to all his friends. He goes, well, um, I'm, uh, I'm gay. I like dudes. He goes, so I don't know. It's not really a big deal, but it, it works for me, I guess. So I'm going to go with it. And I was like, look at that fuck. You know, in a, a very affectionate way. Look at that little brave fuck. Does that come, sound right coming out of my mouth? Cause it sounds, Absolutely. A yeah, little it's brave, endearing. you know. And I was like, it just said, yeah, it works for me, you know, and his dog, I think, lifted his head at that point, went back to sleep. So it was like, I did it to, to maybe help someone else breathe easier, but watching the videos definitely helped me. Yeah. Well, there's so much more. Um, I highly recommend your book. As I said, it's called The Todd Glass Situation. And... Um, We've talked about having you come on as a guest, but I know there was like when you after you came out on Mark's podcast, I didn't want to be one of the 500 people that were like, come on my podcast and talk about it. Um, because while that's certainly a part of who you are and a part of your story, um, it, there's so much more to you and things that you struggle with that, that I want to talk about that I think are even more interesting. Your OCD, your dyslexia. Um, growing up the only Jewish family in uh, a 
not very tolerant neighborhood. Uh, where would be, I love, by the way, too, that your text to me, your your address, you misspelled your address for me to come. I was like, he really does have dyslexia. Because the auto spell. Oh, it, it's okay. It's the auto spell. They smell it. I, I sent it to Eddie Pepitone today, and he goes, I spelled my street, and he goes, there's no way you live at, and then he wrote it back, and I'm like, oh, it looks like it's spelling Ellis Mir. Yeah. So Ellis Mir, I don't know, is that a bad, is that Ellis Island or something? Is uh, I can tell you it's in Seattle, and I was like, I'm not driving to Seattle uh-huh. to come but, record, um, Todd. But yeah, you know, from from when I wrote the book, it, it's amazing how many things started to go. I would have never wanted to sit down and dissect my life. I'm happy. I know what I'm doing. But because it happened indirectly, I wasn't aware of how, you know, from and, and one more thing to get this off my head. Whenever I sit down and you talk about this stuff, I always think like, you know, why am I doing it? And I think, you know, it's the opposite of what we did in the 50s and the 60s or whatever era, keeping everything in. And it's good to talk about. It feels good. I sit down. I'm going to enjoy this, out, whatever we're spending together. I'm going to enjoy it. And and it is. It's very cliche, if that's the right word. But then other people hear it, and they go, whether it's little or whether it's small, and they go, okay, I'm all right. Yep. You know, so many stupid things. Today with my friend Nick, we were talking about the dumbest thing about, you know, um, when you're little and your parents buy something and you, or you're embarrassed of your house or something like that. And you're like, you know, like even I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this and that. And whenever you bear your soul to somebody, you, you know, it's it's the opposite of what we did back then. Everything was shameful back then. No one talked about it back then. And that's why I think a lot of people have the misconception of, oh, there's all these labels today. There's all these this, there's that. And yeah, but you know what? There's a good part of that. I like that they can know what that there's a word Asperger's and there's all types of autism because we can pinpoint it down. And now these kids can figure out what they have and they can live great lives. And we can work through the stereotypes and the misconceptions. Yes. You know, talking about borderline personality disorder on, on this podcast has been hugely informative to me and to many people who, who go suddenly go, oh, my God, my parent had that. Now it makes sense why right. they would do right. these things and then they have more compassion because they understand that person was dealing with a real thing yeah and- i always quote mr rogers and who i really made fun of like everybody else when i was younger it wasn't into the last three years i went oh my god he was, he was a genius he was genius he was brilliant and um he said if it's mentionable it's manageable and i love that quote because again that's the opposite back then I have a joke in my act where I go, even underwear was called unmentionables because that was <laughs> how dare you mention something like that. So it was the opposite. And, yeah, if you mention it, then you can manage it. And it doesn't have to be, hey, it could be as deep. And I'm sure you've done interviews where there's, you know, uh, uh, a child abuse done, it, you know, a chi- uh, a, someone that went through child abuse when they were younger. It could be that deep, but it could be like we could haven't, be, we could haven't be. we haven't done one yet on the podcast. No, we have if we've done a hundred and 80 episodes mm-hmm. 179 involved child abuse wait say that again i'd say of the 180 probably 179 have dealt with child oh, abuse oh. yeah oh, i was you being mean i was them, being sarcastic themselves. um no somebody somebody abusing them and either emotionally physically or right, or, right, or, right. or sexual I, that was a little inside joke for the uh, for the listeners but right. thank you for bringing that to a halt <laughs> Thank you for throwing. You threw the comedic equivalent of what those spike strips are when somebody's somebody's got a car a car chase going on. I really you, just didn't hear you, but I'm sorry. It's like to get to the other side. What do you mean to get to the other side? The chicken. What? Who's got a chicken? A ticket. Stop it. 
So anyway, you asked me about the uh, about the. Uh, it was yesterday. The, I asked the, you about oh, that. Jesus Christ! The cleaning and the and the. Uh, yes. Yeah, that the when dyslexia. I wrote the book, I realized why I was obsessed with the people that lived across the street from us because and and I I really didn't uh, have a great family. You know, I, I'm not just saying it because they might listen. They're really great, but there was a little chaos in our house, and I couldn't handle it. And I remember at a certain age, my mom was still crazy clean, but let go of vacuum marks in the rugs. There could be dog nose marks on the sliding door, and that didn't bother her as much anymore. And by the way, she was better for it. She probably, she tells the story like, yeah, you you realize one day, like, this is not that important. But for me, things started to crumble. I mean, seriously. Like, I would come home, and I needed that order. And the Nalabotskis across the street... They had a very lived-in house. That was, what, was thing. It, what was their last name? The Nalabotskis. I love that name. Uh, Abram Nalabotsky is, you know, is is in the business. So I always wonder if he's going to hear how obsessed I was with his family. But they had a. It wasn't a. When you talk about a neat home, not neat. We're not lived in a very lived-in house. You can go in any room, put your feet up on the furniture. You didn't have. But it was fucking. It. It was neat. And there was you, calm. What did you feel? And you mean outside of emotionally. You mean just to the eye. To the it, eye. It was soothing to the eye. It was soothing to the eye. And later I found out for two reasons. One, just because it was very clean and orderly, you know. And, it wasn't uh, cluttered. No clutter, very clean. But the thing that was the bonus, which I had no idea back then. I didn't know till later. I talked to my friend Albert, Albert Nalavatsky. He's my, my friend. Uh, I told his mom, you know, like as a full-grown adult, I'm like, oh, I was obsessed with your house, you know. And she goes, I said there was a calmness, and I liked the way everything ran the same through the house. She goes, you know, it's funny you say that because we had a decorator at the time that said there's beauty in unity. Wow. So he did a lot of, like, if you were going to have a carpet, you ran the same Berber carpeting. Berber they had ahead of their time, no footprints, yeah. through the whole home. Some of the same things ran through the entire house. And then you go back into each room, and then you give it personality. So it didn't seem boring. But there was definitely follow-through with a lot of things. I remember wallpaper that ran in their foyer, up the stairs, all in there, down the hallway, all a lot of that stuff. The rugs were the same all so I thought, so it probably was, on top of the being clean, also that. So uh, my head just was great there. You know, I really relaxed in that house. I, is that what they, today they would call feng shui? I guess so. And it, but, you know, the thing about, it's funny about feng shui, I don't not believe in it, but I don't believe you have to follow someone else's rules. Like, in other words, they say have nothing under the bed. But... If you live in a place, and that honestly doesn't bother you. Now, if there's stuff under your bed and it bothers you. By the way, this is my opinion. I get if you believe in feng shui. You're like, Todd, you don't rewrite the rules of it. But let's say you live in a place and you need stuff under your bed. And the way I picture it is you have really cool bins and perfectly folded shirts that you don't wear in the summer. And they're in there and it's clean and it's neat and it's organized and it's under your bed. Now, I don't think that... I think that's fucking fine. Yeah, but yes, I that was probably ahead of its time. Uh, what you just said, you don't you don't want to rewrite the rules of feng shui. Why then did you put the book out rewriting the rules of feng shui with you dressed in as an umpire on the front cover of that? <laughs> <laughs> How much would I give to to see that book in print? Oh. Wait, what, say you uh, putting a book out called "Rewriting the Rules of Feng Shui" and you're oh, right, dressed right, as right. an umpire. And the, and the guy from the uh, were you talking about the? Uh, oh, now I'm getting nervous here. Why? Because I thought you were referencing the the umpire that came out. Oh no. Oh okay, okay. No, 
Jeez. Maybe that's why the umpire reference was in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. We're gonna mean. we're at about the hour mark. We'll start clicking. Oh, <laughs> oh you clicked the minute you walk in. Paul walks in, says hi to a friend of mine. He goes Nick, and he thought he said that. What did you think? Nick, he I thought he said Mick. And he, and he goes, no, it's Nick. You go, ah, you should call yourself Mick. It's better. <laughs> I, that's what I knew what you meant by bits. Like the minute yeah. you came in, just like yeah. boom, boom, right. Get ready to go. My favorite bit that we that we used to do is the guy who buries his brag inside a, a complaint. Oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this watch. <laughs> 10000 bucks for a watch, and it keeps time like a shitty watch here. Let me take this <laughs> off here. It's always, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah. um, oh, well, that started from a girl I used to know in the college years who would go, oh, how, how are your parents doing? I'm very careful not to use names here because yeah. uh, I still know her. Yeah. How are your parents doing? Oh, they're fine because when you're 45, you need to buy a bigger house now that your kids are out of college. <laughs> <laughs> we know what you're doing. Uh, how's your dad? Oh, pretty good. Well, you know, he needs seven cars, so mom's thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, please. Everyone's on to what you're doing. Stop it. Uh, what would be What would be a good... Do you want to talk some more about the the, the OCD? Did you ever – what do you, specifically do you think it was that you needed relief from as as a kid that the, that the order, the visual order, gave you a sense of calm from? What, what was the chaos in the, in the house? You know, I sat next to a woman on the airplane once, and um, she, you know, did a lot of study on that, and, you know, and uh, she said, there's different reasons for different people, so that's the problem. When somebody finds out what it is for them, they might go, uh, she goes, but with you, she goes, it sounds like it might be, there was so much clutter in your head that you just needed things mm. calm around you. And it's different than being crazy clean. I'm Also, people think when you're like this that you're a germaphobe which I'm not, you know, I, I touch things, you know, I try to keep things fairly clean, but mm -hmm. I'm not a germaphobe. People come in my house with their shoes on and I can have little disarray. I need organization. Um, but I can, my brother is a teacher and he watched me once while I was having people over and he goes, you know, you're, you let more go than you would think for, you know, the label that you call yourself. I, I guess OCD gets thrown around for like a million mm -hmm. things, but uh, the, the, the clutter in my head, because literally, um, when I have to, when numbers confuse me, like when something's not adding up and maybe the, I get a statement and I don't know where it's at and I call the bank or anything like that, I will literally like scratch the, 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 the crown. crown of my head and just like hold my neck. And I sometimes I'll even say to myself, come on, Todd, really? Is this, is this really hurting you that much? But it does. You know, I'm luckily in a profession where I don't have to deal with numbers. I keep my life pretty simple, so I don't. But when I have to deal with it, mm -hmm. it, the clutter in my head, or if I get too many things, or if I lose an email, you know, like I, I, I was very late to come to the e to, to use email. Now, of course, it's like, yeah, it's great. Everything's great about technology, and I want to utilize every ounce of it. But when I'm doing something with the phone, and I, 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 I used to erase every email. Every email. I didn't want it wherever oh, it was. really? Every email. I didn't want it. But then I found when scrolling back through and needing it, I finally understood what everybody went. Yeah. Not just erase it, but don't have to erase it from the trash, too. You know? Right. 
I wanted it gone. I wanted it I, just clean. I honestly thought when I walked into your house, I was going to walk into like Bill Curtis's house, you know, where there would be like a, I always imagine, you know, Bill Curtis, the, the, the voiceover guy that, that on A and E, I'm Bill Curtis. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. I always imagine, I always imagine him <laughs> just having like a white carpet and very minimalist <laughs> and everything in its place. But you, you wouldn't looking around, it, you know, it's certainly orderly, but it doesn't look, um, it doesn't look obsessive uh, around. Well, your, your you know house. what I've learned that, like, yeah, I wanted to be comfortable and lived in, and I think also when people come over, I notice this, and and this was the same way my parents were, as much as they weren't as neat as I wanted them to be later in life. Uh, when you're like this, and people, and you, and somebody drops something, they always mm-hmm. think along with being orderly means that you're going to be upset if they break something, and I'm always like, oh no, I don't give a fuck. The home's to be lived in, you know, and don't worry about it. But yeah, I want it to be. Sometimes I'll obsess on like like should I like leave like a blanket on the on the sofa undone so it looks more lived in and then I'll literally fold it back up and then put it down again and then unfold it and go I just leave it unfolded it looks more lived in you know yeah. but I'll let stuff go I've also learned um uh, one of the kids that works on my podcast well, he's a comedian Jake uh, um Jake Adams he said, oh, my dad was visiting me, and his new favorite thing is to obsess on all the silverware being in the same compartment in the dishwasher. So a week later, I go, hey, Jake, uh, thanks for your little fucking thing you put in my head. Tell your dad <laughs> to go fuck himself. Because now... Yours, oh, they all have to be in the same one? Yeah. How did that, how did that never get into your consciousness before now? It didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. And you know what I did, though? For a week, I was, like, putting all the spoons with the spoons, all the forks with the forks, upside, you know, the, yeah. all the same way. And I guess what I did? I was proud of myself. I went, no. You mixed it up. No, I said to stop it. And you know how I stopped it? When I would be throw one in there, and it wasn't in the same compartment, and I knew it. And I thought, go back, put it in the right compartment. I thought, no, leave and go to the gym. And I did, and I got over it. So... But leave I, and go to the gym and and work, go. work out in the number 77. Make each thing <laughs> add up so that there's a seven and nothing carries over. You know, all that stuff with the numbers and like yeah. people that have all that. Again, like there's different I, kinds of OCD. There's different. Yeah, there's different types. And I, I don't know why I because if there's any place to say it, it's this show. Um, I, rem- I, I remember driving in the car and a, a friend of mine's wife said she goes, oh, everyone's so uh, overly. um uh, you know, there's all everyone's overly medicated, and there's all all these terms. And I said to her, I go, I, I'm friends, so we had a good conversation. I said, you know, I'm willing to have that conversation with you because there's no doubt there's kids that are overly medicated, and adults not only over medicated and but on the wrong medicine. Sort of echoing what I said before. But I said, I don't want to have that conversation with you. But when we have it, I'll do it for three hours. We'll talk about it for three hours. We'll talk about how everyone's overdiagnosed and overly medicated. If you're willing to spend 20 minutes on how it's changed people's life. Miraculously, miraculously, and she knew what I was saying. It's like, no, you're, you're. It's okay to talk there's about good, the other things. There's good buried in that. Yeah, in there's, that, yeah. There's good, and and it's not like it wasn't there a long time ago. We just ignored it, and people were miserable because they didn't know what was wrong with them. So when I said we'll talk about it for three hours, it's not like I was being flippant. Like I get it, and when kids are over medicated, some of them need a different medication. Some of them don't need to be on fucking medication at all. So I hope the tone of my voice shows I get it. And why that, are you why are you angry at me? Because you don't look <laughs> but again like i'm willing to have that conversation but it some people and i bet there's people listening right now going you fucking bet this changed my life i found a medicine you know 12 years ago and i've been on it and i've been good and i've been productive and by the way i'm not on any medication so i don't defend it as a person that's been on it i defend it because 
I've known people that's changed their lives. Absolutely changed their lives. I was just talking to a guy yesterday in my support group who is sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day, and he's wondering if he should go back on his meds. And I was like, you know, I'm no doctor, but yes. And when you You say your support group, what do you mean? Um, a support group that I go to for, uh, I'm a recovering, uh, drug addict, you know, okay. all of that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I- I'm addicted to everything. So I go to a couple, couple of different support groups. Um, but, uh, it, it's a serious thing, you know, I and see- it helps and you get, and it feels good. You meet other people and yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I guess I say it over and over again. Sometimes on my podcast, I'm paranoid that I say the same thing over and over again. And somebody wrote me a nice email. They don't, said, don't worry. Nobody listens. <laughs> Yours or mine? Yours. Both. Todd's podcast is very popular. It's called the Todd Glass Show. And uh, it's... Uh... Nobody listens to your podcast. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt the podcast. I just put in a $100,000 new air conditioner and... You, place, you, yeah, you would you would seems, think it would be you would it, think would, it would, be would work doing better, better than a window unit here. Yeah, you would you know you would think <sighs> that the uh, the alligator boots that I have that are hand sewn, you would think I wouldn't be sweating in them, but I'm sweating in them. <laughs> you did some great ones. You yeah. were always, you would find these little things. You yeah. would come up to me and I wasn't ready for it. You'd be like, uh, ah, this shirt. You know what? You think you spend five hundred dollars for a shirt? It would breathe a little. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, don't even get me started on on wasting money. It was in it was in Vegas and. Uh, you know, it rained all week. You know, I spend the money on the most expensive hotel room that you can get with a butler, and uh, and then it rains. I can't, I can't even spend any time on the roof uh, with the best view in the strip. Um, you but know you know, how do you how them? do you explain that to models when they're <laughs> how do you because they know you know they're from Sweden they don't they don't speak. Could I have picked a more hack version of oh, a word. of a model? It, it worked. It yeah. worked. How do you explain that to models? Yeah. You're not bragging. <laughs> By the way, the person, the only person that believes what this person does, that what we've created but also exists, so we're just doing yeah. a parody of it, is who are they fooling? Who yeah. goes, somebody the next day goes, you know, Paul was really com- bragging the other night about his room. You go, I, I thought he was complaining. I don't know. <laughs> like, who's it working on? No, hey, That girl, she really brags about her parents' cars. No, I think you got her wrong. If I remember yesterday, her she was complaining. Her dad's having a tough time. Yeah, he, she was complaining that it's stupid that he has all those cars. So I don't think she was bragging. I think she like, who's buying it? Who doesn't know? We know what you're doing. Anyway. Uh, what do you, I, 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 to, to go back to the, to the chaos, um, the emotional clutter or whatever it, it, it was in your house, can you be more specific about what, what it was was it was it outside of you was it something your your parents was it them not expressing their emotions was it tension between them was it you not being popular you mean why they what's your you you looked for this order and you know in your life this visual order was very soothing to you because you said there was kind of chaos in your head what what was the chaos was it all within yourself things about yourself or was it dynamics in inside your family it wasn't my my family you know in hindsight i think maybe my mom uh dealt had a lot of dogs because uh I don't know why why she had a lot of dogs. I think it's the way she dealt with things, you know, because she had a really bad childhood, and uh, she turned around and didn't, you know. I give her a lot of credit. She had a like not a normal crazy mom, like, but just really crazy, you know, like, uh, 
you know, certifiably crazy and nuts. And her dad left when she was 13. And I think maybe the dogs was a way, the nurturing of the puppies and everything. How many dogs did you have? Well, uh, we had probably some. And by the way, sometimes I'm embarrassed that I preface, but other times I'm not because I realize my mom might listen to this. And I really love her. And it's worth taking the time to to give her the clarity, if she would ever hear this, um, that... uh, the dogs were also the most awesome thing in the world, you know, that I got to see puppies being born. And to this day, I know a lot about dogs, and sometimes I'm proud of it. Someone's talking, and I pipe in, and it's all that shit. That my mom, if she was a fly in the would be like, oh, he really did retain a lot. But there was a lot of chaos sometimes, you know, when you always have litters of puppies, you know, because they showed dogs. And there'd be like maybe four or five adult dogs. They all stayed in the house. And then there could be two litters. So for, Wow. Yeah, so for me, it could be like... You know, and they were all in the house, and, and again, even though I said my mom let stuff go, still the puppies were always immaculate and had fresh water, and they played every day, and they were socialized, and they were with us. They weren't kennel dogs by any sense of the imagination. But it was that, and then the stuff in my own head was they didn't really know a lot about dyslexia back then. They didn't know about it till I got into high school. Then they started to really figure it out. By that time, I was so exhausted of being tested. I mean, it, it was... School was miserable for you, other than socially. Socially, in, in 10th grade, it started being a lot of fun. It really did. I made some friends and started doing stand-up, and that became like, oh, you're doing stand-up. And, but before that, oh, it was just... And you bounced from school to school to yeah, school to school. How many mm-hmm. different schools did you go to before uh, things settled down in high school? I would almost every other year... We'd either move just because my parents moved a lot or get taken out of a regular school and put in a special school. Mm-hmm. And back then, like you would be in a special school, you'd be mixed with kids that were um, that were uh, mentally retarded. Mm-hmm. And they'd be in a different classroom. But there were some kids even in the same class. They weren't mentally retarded, but they were certainly had – hey, you know, I'm trying to say it right now because I, as an adult, I, you know, certain people uh, you don't call somebody the wrong name. There's, there's proper names. But back then – I just it was a you know a kid in sixth grade. I'd be like you know we have some weird people in my class. That girl's you know that girl's fucking crazy. You know I didn't. That's you just called it for that, how you saw. Yeah, it as there a was young three child. three words. You know, you were fag, loser, or creepy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you uh, know, it was a brutal it was a brutal world for anybody who was different. It really was, and you know what. E- even though there's always going to be new people to be picked on. Oh, I'm sorry. And dummy. There were four and dummy. words. Yeah. Well, even, and, <laughs> hey, dummy. <laughs> um, Don Rickles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dummy. Um, it, yeah, there, there did was. You, did you hear his line uh, that he did? Uh, Todd is one of the biggest Don Rickles fans ever. Um, there was a, a roast, and he looked over at Ed Sullivan and said, Ed, keep moving or they're going to throw dirt on you. <laughs> What was great about that was great about Don Rickles was like back then when he well he always looked older yeah. you know but you see him back then he was always telling he goes he goes and and he goes no I kid Ricardo Montalban lay down you're dead <laughs> <laughs> lay down you're dead um, the um, what were we just talking about uh, the the how there weren't words to describe you were just there was these you know. Slow blunt, was one. Yeah, blunt labels yeah. That, that had no nuance to them that were derogatory. They had no compassion for, you know, what, what somebody... Yeah, they didn't really know, and, and they, slow was a term used a lot. Like, you're, you know, he's just slow. Yeah. We're special. He's in a special class. So it was like, you know, special. Like, even my brother sometimes would go, special. But 
you know, when they did it, it was brotherly stuff, you know. But um, they uh, so so when they finally started knowing in high school what it was about. By that time, I was so exhausted. Oh, we had moved, so I went like from second grade into a regular class. I was in first grade regular class, second grade regular class, but then I flunked second grade. My teacher, Miss uh, Ziegler, wanted me to stay behind and she'd work with me, but my parents felt it was better to put me into a resource room within there. Then I went back into third grade, sort of flunked to equivalent to fl- yeah, I flunked. Mm-hmm. And then in fourth grade, I went to an open space mm-hmm. in the same school. Then we moved, went to fifth grade, regular class. Didn't do very well, but we moved, and somehow I wiggled my way into sixth grade. Didn't do very well in sixth grade at all. Then went to a special school called Wordsworth Academy and uh, didn't like it at all. Went back to se- seventh grade. And you were 17 at that point. <laughs> yes. I was, I was 30. Yeah. <laughs> I was 35 There's something old. about seeing somebody comb their chest hair while they're holding flashcards <laughs> that's endearing. I'm fake combing my chest to everybody. Uh, hold on. Uh, so it was in and out of, in and out of classes. And you know, whenever I tell this, like, I still had like a lot of fun as a kid, you know, so I never liked to make it woe is me, but it was exhausting. And it was, I hated going to school. I it's just a fucking, hated it. It's a fucking pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. If you are different, it, it is miserable. I was short for my age, very, very short for my age. And, uh, I, I dreaded. There were. I was just in constant anticipation of somebody slamming me up against the locker uh, or picking me up by my collar and swinging me around. It was. Uh, I. I couldn't wait until until I grew. Just praying someday. So uh, I, I, I. That's I why can't, I can't it. imagine what it was like being as dumb as you were. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's something great about knowing you're in a safe space. So you bury your soul, and then anytime somebody gets his lob out, and with and not you don't care. But to be as dumb as you were, how did you do yeah. it? Um, the uh, I forgot what I was going to say about the. I forget. It's nice to have somebody else who loses their train of thought as much as I do. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've edited out uh, me looking at a guest and saying there was something I wanted to say, and now I can't fucking remember what it was. I, I, I do it a lot. I get some things. We were talking about the blunt language to so you were oh. skipping from school to school to school to school. Yeah, the the mm-hmm. the um the the lang- you know one of the th- you know the, I will reference the book again real quick as far as some of the verbiage that people use. You know, like I talk about it all the time, and I'm not going to stop because it's like saying to somebody, you know, uh, why do you keep telling me to stop spitting? Because you're spitting. You keep spitting. If you if you stop spitting and then I keep saying it, yeah, then punch me in my fucking face. There's still people holding on to verbiage. There's still people holding on to using the word retarded. There's still people holding on using the word gay as an adjective. Now, what's the difference between somebody, you use the word mentally retarded. That's a good, that's, o- that's, that's okay. That's a really good point. Yeah, what's there, the difference between that and just saying retarded? There's two ways that, one, just on people... Look, you know, I told someone this the other day, and I'm going to give myself, I'm going to apply it to myself. When you're trying to grow, no one's looking at you from around the corner. Someone said, what if you say retarded by accident? Then I'll explain it, but I need Mm -hmm. to explain this first before I even explain it. There's no one waiting for you around the corner if you you slip and use the word retarded as an adjective. Someone asked me that. They go, what if I slip all the time? I go, if I hear someone in another room say, oh, that's retarded, and they go, oh, I'm trying to not use that word. You know what I think? There's a fucking smart person in the other room. They're trying to get it out of the vocabulary. So when I talk about it, sometimes even I get tied up with the words. 
But I know I have good intent, and I know I'm willing to learn, and I will figure out the right word. But there's two things. One, using the word as an adjective. You know what I mean? Instead mm-hmm. of clumsy, retarded. And then there's when you are referencing people that are mentally retarded. Now I think the word is uh, uh, mentally challenged. challenged. Yeah. Maybe because I know what – maybe the reason that I understand why sometimes people want to clear the slate. Now, there's two different things. So address just why they wanted to change it from mentally retarded to challenged. I think I'm mm-hmm. right. Maybe I thought I understood that because, yeah, I'd like to get rid of the word gay. You know, you grew up hearing the word gay as an adjective your whole life. Gay, gay, gay. It's gay. That's gay. This is gay. That's gay. I would love to have a new word. I would love to. I know there can't be, and I get it. We're just hoping the world doesn't have the... But it's so loaded. It's, it's such so a loaded... loaded. And then you think, well, I remember me, the first kid I ever met that we discussed this, uh, We, I was probably like 22, and we said, oh, I hate that word. And we go, why don't we call it something else? Now, the word we came up with didn't really work, because we're like, call it cool. Like, hey, is that guy cool? I think that guy's cool. And then we go, wait, is he cool, cool, or cool? And we get confused, so... Mm. But but even then, we're like, yeah, just get it rid of it. Clean the slate, you know? But so I don't think the real problem – I think that's what I'm talking about that when it's you're about using intent. it as an adjective. And it, that it's about intent. Yeah. Because clearly your intent when you said, you know, the mentally retarded, that that's not intended as a, as a put down. You know, if anything, it's, it's like when you would hear somebody who was older, uh, you know, y- use the word Negro. It's like you you knew when that person first started using that word that was not a uh, a word right. that ha- that was loaded in any way. So it's like okay, they're just you know they're ready to die. Yeah. Let them have their let them have their well. You know, thing. I I agree with you. At one age, you give people sort of a maybe get out of jail free pass. But then again, I'm sure older people that are continuing to grow and change hate that because they're like, no, I can change. So can this dumb fuck. You know, it must be great being 75 or 80 and being evolve evolve or grow because then you can really give other 80 year olds shit. You know, you can go fuck you. No, stop it. But anyway. When using it as an adjective, there's still a lot of people, and I was saying, I'll, I'll keep saying it until I can rattle someone out of it. And that was one of the things I wanted to talk about on Mark Marin. And one of the main things about the book was to go, if you want to know, and we'll go full circle here, what kept me hiding. I was never around, in case you're wondering the dangers of those words. I was never around what I lazily like to say is like, fuck faggots. Or I'd drag that faggot. Or I'd fucking kill. I wasn't around that. So if you're go if you're sitting home going I would never say that no 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 okay well good that's not what kept me in the closet never around it but the 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 word alone using that word as an adjective kept me hiding and I don't understand the Paul, word the word gay using it as an adjective and not get understanding it and the thing that is about it is I feel there is one side being very fair and there's another side so here's how fair it is and I think most people that want people to stop using those words do feel what I feel. There's no, you did nothing wrong when you were using it. Now, people are like, what? I thought there was nothing. But once someone educates you and then you choose to keep using it, I don't get it, Paul. I really don't get it. I, and I'll say it again. I don't get it. There's a person and you're using their being as an adjective. Who's listening to this right now? Even if it's 10 people going, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, it's not, not to you it's not a big deal. Right. But what kind of a big deal is it, though, to to somebody who's being told that their very essence is, 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 is wrong, Whether is it's bad. chew me down. Right. And by the way, the way, the words, you can never use good examples because they don't like the examples that you give because the examples you give, even they realize they wouldn't say, you know, chew me down or, or NREG. 
or enrich. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, by the way, don't even know what that term means anymore. G- good. But, you know, it never stands the test of time. And uh, or, you know, the one I was forgetting to use was, you know, and by the way, at first I thought I'm not going to talk about this in my podcast because then people are going to be like, you know, when you pick too much, you lose, you feel Todd. Now you're but no, fuck it. Uh, Women using I'll I'll slowly stop saying pussy, uh, man up, grow a pair. It's like, what the fuck? Who wants to grow up as a girl and think your existence means, well, like gay, lame. Your existence means lame. So I go, and I would do that. I would say, I would say sometimes, oh, I don't mean to be a woman about it if I was talking about my weight. I want that out. I want that. I don't need that. I don't need that in my, but there's still people, and I think what it is, they don't see the path to the pain. Because they would never walk up to someone and go. Those people are going, oh, my God, I would never walk up to someone and say, hey, faggot, or hey, get, oh, my God, no. I'm just using it as an adjective. But they're creating an environment that uh, that affects people. It spills It spills over. I did a guy's podcast, uh, which will remain nameless, and we were talking about sports, and he was talking about some hockey player, and... And he had this guy, his, his daughter was hanging out in the studio, like his 11 year old daughter. And he said, uh, oh yeah, you know, that guy's a skirt. And I just, it saddened me because it was like, what, how do you not see what kind of a message you're sending to your daughter that, yeah, and it's got to affect their lives other than that. Let's say we oh. don't even give a shit. Don't tell me because, you know, whenever you widen the scope, you really see what it is. And then you go, yeah. oh, it's not about the word gay or the word saying man up. It's about an understanding. Well, let me ask you something. The words we dropped in the past, if we said, why do we not say the word um, Jew me down or Enrig? Do we stop doing it because those people were sensitive? No, they weren't sensitive. They were right. They were rightfully hurt. If you say to, hey, you pile of shit, go fuck yourself, and that person gets hurt, they're not sensitive. You didn't make fun of their hat. You didn't make a little joke they're wearing a lot of gel in their hair. Then they're sensitive. But if you're calling their being dumb or lame or cheap, they're not sensitive. They're justifiably annoyed at you. They're not sensitive. Stop calling them sensitive. Makes you look like they're the weaker person or they're the sensitive one when you are, the person throwing out those terms. Good point. Good point. Oh, I never feel like I got that out as good as I did just then. <laughs> by the way, anybody listening to that, that can, let me, and I will say one, uh, I'm sorry, and then I will, anybody listening to that that's got their earphones on right now and is wiggling out of that making sense, your life is not going to be good. Your life is, <laughs> I mean that, because yes. you, there's a blockage. Yes. I, I agree to agree to disagree, and that doesn't mean someone's life's going to go wrong because they disagree with me. In this area, you really need to... Say, well, yeah, why am I still fighting, wiggling out of it? But what about this? Well, uh, 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 if someone said even idiot is a bad term. Uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just, just stop squirming and just, just go with it. Go with it. Whoo. Look at me sweating over here. Can I turn my air conditioning on? Are you, are you warm? Yeah. Just yeah. for a little? Yeah, yeah. Go turn it on. While Todd does that, I'm 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 going to give uh, one of our sponsors uh, some love. Uh, I want to talk about PillPack, the uh, the online pharmacy. Uh, what? What are you talking about? Oh, do you want to know a little bit about this, Todd? Hold on, I'll be right out. I forgot to order my medicine, and I gotta write it down. I gotta go to oh. CVS tomorrow. Oh. Oh. Boy, does it suck having to go to the pharmacy. Uh, uh, Todd, there, there's a, there's a product here that where you can get around having to go to your retail pharmacy. They'll ship it right to your door. Paul, 
do me a favor. This is the Lipitor. I had a heart attack, and don't make up. I I understand we like doing. Oh no, this is this is a real thing. This is oh, not really? a bit. Oh, they just drive it to your house and they leave it on your door. They do, Todd. Wait, hold on. What? Yes. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Even if they do it, no. I gotta. I'm keep cutting down on my budget. I'm trying to remortgage my house. Oh no, money. it doesn't I cost can't you. Spend more, Todd. Paul. Todd. I can't spend. Paul. It, I I don't care if it's a dollar more. I can't spend it. It doesn't even cost ten cents more. It costs not a penny more than an actual retail pharmacy. And they shipped to 32, 33 states, Todd. Paul, I'm not looking to make excuses, but my doctor gave me specific orders that I have to take all name brands. Oh, the, the, these people, uh, they, they'll ship you name brands. Well, on some of them I need generic, though, because it's cheaper and my doctor says it's all right. Uh, Todd, they, <laughs> they do generics as well. There, there's... What more do you need to know, uh, Todd? Well, it sounds like if I... Look, here, here's, here's a sample right there. There's the pack that I got shipped to, to my house. They pull off in a roll each day. Oh, I know who this isn't for. Who? Some people don't like convenience. Some the, people, they don't have enough to do in their day. There are people like that, and they yeah. go, what am I, if I don't go to the drugstore, then... This, this is insulting to those people, and I, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize that it's a slap in the face... Of people that need more stuff to do, it it's it's insensitive. It's insensitive, Todd. <laughs> it's insulting to them. Go to uh, for mental illness happy hour users. Go to the one uh, thing I didn't appreciate you did, and it's okay. Right. Obviously, just so you know, I'm first of all, I, I genuinely want to do it, yeah. but don't lie and say it's not more. If it's a little more, I think what you need to say no. is it's a teeny bit more, but it's worth it. It's not. It actually isn't even a penny more. I swear to you. Yeah. Well, I guess if... Go What's to, the number did you say again? It's uh, it's called pillpack.com. Ah, slash. damn it, this pen isn't working. Oh, Let no. me get another one. What did, what, what did you say again? <laughs> pillpack.com slash happy hour. Uh, I spent $700 on this pen, <laughs> and it's it's like a big pen. It keeps... Just say it one more time. I'm very sorry, and I know it's obnoxious at this point for your listeners. <laughs> pillpack.com slash happy hour. I guess some things are, you know, like they say, there's a re every term on the planet exists for a reason. And this is, some things are just as good as they seem. <laughs> Todd Glass, everybody. Thank you for, thank you for pitching in with that. Um, what, what else uh, should, we, should we talk about? Um, we've talked about the dyslexia, the struggle in, in school, uh, coming out, uh, OCD. What are what are the things you know? Let's talk about what wh when I came in to the house. Uh, this guy who is staying with you, uh, Nick, and he's a, a a younger guy, and it's so you, it's so funny because I'm half embarrassed to talk about that, but but hey, I think this is a perfect example of something. That, uh, now that you're out, yeah. How much of it was legitimate? We well, we had we didn't even come up with the conclusion yet. So here's what happened. Um, you know, I had lied so much in my life about like you know if I was living with someone, oh that's a friend of mine or that's my cousin. And uh, Nick who uh, works on the podcast. Did anybody ask you why are you you and your cousin blowing each other? <laughs> Right out here in the jacuzzi, it's kind of a family. Do you back, come from? Back, back yeah. in the day, <laughs> no one asked. They just figured, oh, it's his cousin. Yeah, they must be close. But anyway, um, so. so 
you know, for so often I did lie. And now, so anyway, uh, Nick uh, had to get out of his other apartment. And, he, and I met Nick originally at the improv. He, uh, he uh, wor- was working on a charity show, and we started talking, and I realized he took pictures. And next thing you know, you know in this business, you, he, uh, you, you meet people. And he uh, uh, would come by the podcast. He started taking pictures so we can put them up online. So that's how we became friendly. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's living here for a few months because he, got, uh, he can't live in his old place. He got thrown mm-hmm. out, and that's a long story. But um, – and he's a straight guy. He's a straight guy. Yeah. So we thought, you know, doesn't it look paranoid when people come over? I'm always paranoid now while he's here that they'll think, oh, is he someone that I'm seeing? And Nick's 20, right? Yeah, 20. he's 20. And that's the other thing. Like, yeah, you reach a certain age where you can date people a lot younger than you. And no one blinks an eye at it, especially in this business, because I really do think as a comedian, sometimes what you what you you're, you're uh, you can play like someone that's younger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Someone your own age sometimes. Because you're business. still silly and you're still kind yeah, of childlike. Right. But right. at a certain age, you're like, really? Are you being emotionally fulfilled? Is that somewhere that's going to lead anywhere? And I've known comedians over the years that, you know, I don't want to be like Liberace, right? Maybe yeah. that's maybe that's my own paranoia. But I thought, like, when you came in, do I say – first of all, it seems like you're lying if you say, like, oh, by the way, Nick is straight or who gives a fuck. But then we were discussing maybe there's an element that, of that – it depends if you're telling somebody because they'd give a fuck. I'm talking about people that could give a shit if I was dating somebody that was 20. But let them know what his deal is right away so they just know and that they don't think that I'm dating a 20-year-old. And, and That's you, what went through my head when you were yes. coming over here tonight. And so uh, Todd posed the question to me, what did you think when you first walked in? And is this something that I should explain to people or am I just being overly paranoid? And I said, well, my first thought when I walked in was, I wonder if if these guys are dating. Right. Um, But I think anybody would have assumed if I had walked in and it was, uh, you know, a guy with a with a woman who's living there, I would have wondered, you know, so it had nothing to do with with you being gay. But then you you asked that question, should I explain this? And, And I said, I think it depends on who. I think if it's a close friend of yours and you know that that's probably that question is in the in their mind at some point, maybe maybe yeah, say just to let them know. You know, just yeah. it's sort of matter of. But like, I guess that's the only person that would come over my house is someone that I'm sort of friendly with. You know, it wouldn't be anybody. I certainly wouldn't do it like we said if the if the plumber was coming in. Right. But I was wondering with you if I was being honest as far as why I think it was more because I didn't want someone to think like you were a lech. Yeah, and even in the day, like you know, it seems like a lot of younger people are into comedy. Like you know, you go to the yeah. meltdown and you go to uh, these shows, just younger, and it's mostly guys. Yeah. So even on my podcast, you know, like my friends will tease me. They're like, right. I'm like, hey, it's, it's, I'm sorry. There's not, uh, you know, mostly guys are into comedy. Not yeah. always, but mostly, you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? The fans of comedy yeah. are, are notorious or overwhelmingly it's definitely men. skews male yeah. and young. But, uh, and, gor- but, and gorgeous. <laughs> but, but there were so many well, Why deers. do they all have their shirts off, though, they're, Todd? All the guys <laughs> And why do they do crunch? So why do why they do, do countries while you podcast in, in your underwear? Because that keeps them in good shape. And the pod, they got to be in good shape for the podcast for the people that listen to it. But you know, but I think there's a little legitimacy to it. I really do. I, I hope that I'm not going reverse 
after I did so much progress. And I think there's a legitimacy. Um, and again, I think you hit the nail right on the head with it's one thing if you're uh, trying to explain it to someone you think would give a shit. Uh, you and one other person two days ago, some two of my friends that haven't been here in a long, I haven't seen in a long time. I'm like, hey, we should get together and have some uh, dinner on Sunday night. And when they came in, now they said, oh, we didn't care. But I was like, people say that because they think it's right. I'm so glad that you said, yeah, I sort of did think that. I was curious. Yeah, because but, it but, does it, answer but it, the. But it wasn't a burning thought in my head. It was just like, oh, oh, hey, that's a nice cabinet over there. Oh, look at the nice right. table, Todd. It was literally like. Just a part of the flow of, of thoughts. You know what? I think I just came up with the answer. I shouldn't say anything because it'll come out naturally. You know, yeah. because you know me and you don't give a shit. Maybe two hours later, you'll be like, oh, are you guys? And that's my opportunity to go, oh, no, no. Nick's living here for a few months. That's the opportunity to yes. say it. There were, there were years when I was in a relationship uh, for 15 years. And uh, Chris was a manager. He managed, he managed talent. Mm. And when we met, I was probably 32 when I met Chris. Chris was 22. And uh, he had a lot of clients that were younger, too. And some of them were extremely good looking. And, but you know what? Like we, when we met, we, we got along really well because I'm a comedian. They came to see the shows. And inside, I would love it if they wanted to come see my shows. But it's so stupid when I look back. Chris would be like, hey, I'm coming to the show with Brian tonight. And I was like, oh, no, like, just model good looking guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, Chris, you can't bring him. Why? And, because he's too good looking. I don't want people to. Oh, to know. Tell the story about when the the helicopter was searching. Yeah, we we had a, and again, we're two reasonable adults. When it all settled, we'd you always were, you were living together. We living together. We bought this house together, and we're not stupid. You know, when when everything settled, we'd always look at each other and laugh. We're like, what the fuck? Like we'd get it. Like it's stupid. But there was something that went on at a neighbor's house where there's a weird package delivered on their front door. It was right after nine eleven. And all we knew is that the police were like outside everywhere up and down the street and uh, they were coming up to our house. So like we ran out of the bedroom where we stayed and I ran into the extra bedroom and messed the bed up. I'm like, what are we? That, break, that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart to, th to think what it must have been like for years to live with that fear. This would happen to me a lot. I would be 15 and 17. Hey, did you hear blah, blah, blah was gay? And then they would go, oh, yeah, what did you do? Oh, I don't care. I told him I'm his friend. And they're, you know, pretty, pretty. And then came the, can you imagine having two guys having sex? I thought once I tell people that I'm gay, then they're all they're going to do is imagine me having sex. Like, that's, that's, that's what happened. Wow. So I was like, that was a big deal for me, like, to go, oh, my God, I'm going to walk into a room, and that's all people are going to picture. And I will say this, if there's anybody listening right now, I think this is, do it when you're ready. But I can tell you this, the good news is, all that's completely gone. No one does. I don't feel like they do. I'm, I don't feel like it's taken over my identity at all. Um, I feel like it's the same old Todd Glass that I used to be. Of course, in a situation like this one, we're discussing it. But overall, it, none of that shit happened. But it was my fear, like, that that's what would happen. You know, you explain in your book and in your interviews you've explained so many things about fear of coming out the things that you have to deal with in hiding it that have helped me more fully understand the experience of somebody that had to to live with that secret and i 
am not somebody who is homophobic at all. So I can't imagine how much, when, when there's somebody like you who is able to articulate their experience in a way that is nuanced and human, I can't imagine how many people's minds you've opened uh, since you came out. I can't imagine how much positivity you've you've had in your sphere. Uh, what did you ever stop and think about that? Well, I, I you know, I, God, are I, you full of yourself? <laughs> You don't even let me answer. You know? All right, hold on. That's why I'm mostly sweating because. Oh, are you full of yourself? You'd never do that in a movie if they asked you to recreate that brilliant timing. You go do that again. What you just I did. Couldn't. Um, I hope that when I speak, that I try to do that. I try to get into the head. I know what people thought because I lived as a, so what I say kiddingly, a secret agent. Because no one, as many people knew about me in the comedy world, a shit ton of people didn't. So people spoke very openly in front of me. And um, so I tried to like argue, think of what they're going to say and then come back at it. Think of what they're going to say to that. Sometimes I do a shit job and I hate it. Other times I feel like I nail it. And I just try to picture someone home trying to wiggle out of it and go, no, 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 you wiggle right. I punch. I got mm. you. Come on. I got you. I've been my whole life. I've lived. I know what you're thinking. I know where you're. And again, like you said, you've, been, sh you've been shadow boxing your your whole life. Yeah. I, I at, least, at least since you knew that you were gay. Yeah, you, you get very good at like, you know, like I said, to, to change the subject on, even to change the subject when people were talking about it. Like if someone brought up a topic that I was, hey, did you see that new movie about the, there's a gay guy in it? And even if it wasn't about me, I'd like, I said I'd spill hot coffee on a baby to switch topics. <laughs> <laughs> What's, you know, I would try to just, you know, get out of it no matter what I had. But yeah, I do try to think like, like on a show like this, obviously it's just some, sometimes talking about your, your just self and with no message at all, just hoping it's interesting. And other times you hope when you do this, you have a few things that people at home go, even decent, kind people are going, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. I never thought about that. Okay. That's like, you know, with the Michael Sam thing that just passed. I think there's a lot of decent people that might go, all right, well, I don't care. But did they have to show them kissing? You know, like, I don't care about people that are gay, but I did. And then, really, you probably do care a little. I'm tr Trust me, because, yeah. the, yes, the men and women kiss, and they kiss, and it's, it's you know. I, w I was using the word gay as an adjective until probably about 12 years ago. And, uh, and I'm sure I've even done it since then. And um, yeah, that... that I have a lot of regret uh, about about having done that. I used, by the way, I always forget to tell people this because it's like, oh wait, if I tell people this, it t takes me off my soapbox. I use the word retarded and gay as an adjective, you know. And that's why if you can meet one person, oh here's another, they go left, I go right, and I will use myself as an example. You can meet somebody that that's gay that says I don't mind the word gay. Guess what? They're wrong. And I was wrong. 
I did it. I thought, well, you want to, you believe it. Maybe you do believe it. I don't want to make it sound like you just want to be accepted, but maybe it's a little bit of both. You want to be the cool guy. Is I don't give a fuck. That doesn't mean you know. There are people that study and they know the path back to the destruction. I used to do a joke about a gay. Uh, what if there was a gay cop? You know, and go, oh, you come up, and I did a flaming cop coming up to your car, and you might think, well, it's comedy. Who's it going to hurt? I did it. But I was wrong. How many I, years ago was this? Oh, it was probably 20 years ago. And ironically, after doing that bit, you were arrested by the comedy police, and they had a good solid case <laughs> against you. You know, whenever you tell the truth about what bothers you, you can't get caught in the truth. If somebody goes, to be honest, when I see two guys kissing, it, it might be wrong. It is wrong. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. It's gross. You know, you can never catch them in that. And you notice there's a calm in my voice when I say that. Two guys kissing. If someone goes, it's gross. Yeah. You know why they're, I'm calm? They're, they're describing the truth, their feelings. Their, their feelings. But when you try to make up reasons. That it's wrong. That it's try wrong. to say it's wrong. People that will do the egregious acts of hate. You know what I mean? That will drag a kid behind the car. You don't align yourself with them. And you genuinely don't. But let me tell you something. And it's not fair. But life isn't fair. When you do, when you don't set a zero tolerance for any type of this, you know, sexism or racism, they align themselves with you. Uh, I just want to say one more thing before, before we wrap it. up, and I and I and I think this sums it up perfectly. A friend of mine who's he's a great guy, and he was uh, telling me about a guy that came on to him when he was changing in the locker room, and it it shocked him. And it made him angry. And later he became really outraged and felt like he should have he should have punched the guy. Couple hour late couple hours later we're talking, and I swear to swear to you, he describes a trip that he had to Europe where he went to a co ed bathhouse and there was a beautiful German girl who was changing her clothes and she was naked and he came up and asked her if she would like to go out. And he said she freaked the fuck out, like almost like if you walked in on somebody in the bathroom, and and I said, "Hey, don't you understand? That's exactly you did exactly to her what you were upset with that guy having done to you." And he paused. And here's why he's such a great guy. He went, "Oh my God, you're right." And I think sometimes that's the best that we can hope for is to stop beating ourselves up for having done something wrong and just say, now I have the information. Thank you for being so... I guess I want to thank you for having such thoughtful and articulate takes on these things because uh, not everybody is where is where you're at and it takes somebody... Well, uh, you're not to say anything now. This is me. <laughs> I don't want to thank you. You're probably right. I want to thank you for... No, I'm not. Uh, I, I want to thank you for being so much fucking fun to hang around. And this is going to be... Uh, come across as kind of pathetic and needy. But I would like to hang out with you more. I always... Um, I always have such fun with you. And I want to... Uh, I would like to... I would like to do stuff more. Because I laugh so... Well, I'll I'll, this this is two things, and this, and then and let me just say this because one addressing what you just said, uh, I've told this story many times. A long time ago, me and Dave Rath 
we uh, we would always say we don't hang out as much anymore, and we're both proud of ourselves. We were good friends, and you know you you go separate ways. And we about ten years ago, we go no, I don't want to be that, and we started hanging out. So you know you can do it, and you can go oh yeah, you know. So if you just put it down, you know you go oh, let's try to hang out, even if you have to cancel once or twice. Eventually you will, and because um, uh, I have a few friends, we're like God when we see each other. I'm the same way with you. Like, I see you at the improv. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got the word giddy. That's right out yeah. of my vocabulary. I get giddy. I'm like, I can't wait. We're going to do bits. And then you think, but well, then we don't see each other yeah. that often. And the other thing was, um, I do read, this has to do with the deal with my podcast hangover. That's what mm-hmm. I call it in the morning. Uh, when you have some regrets about stuff you said. Regrets about what I said. Or, or did I make myself clear? I'm going to be uh, insecure and very secure. Uh, the secure part is, well, not secure, but I, I do read emails. People make great points, kind emails, and you go, oh, you're almost go, oh, I wish I could go right back on the podcast and go, no, I meant this and I meant that. And, and, and oh, it just it really mm-hmm. do because you don't want someone to think like, oh, there's someone out in the world that misunderstood me and mm-hmm. um, that I do read emails and I do uh, change my opinion. And I do. Uh, and the other thing was that even if I might have not said something right, I have to have enough confidence to go, I think I'm heading in the right direction. So I try not to do that. And uh, so sometimes I get a little lost in my thought. But overall, I hope that, you know, it's towards going in a kinder. I think that's very clear. Good, good direction. Which is so surprising from somebody who is so dumb. (laughs) Listen, I want to wish you luck in fifth grade. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's gonna be. You think I'm a, I think it's gonna be a tremendous year. Uh, clearly, you're gonna be a hit on the football team. You're twice everybody else's size. Yeah. And uh, nice I think beard. I've worn. I think I've. Worn, I think I've worn this bit out. No, but no. I, first of all, that never gets worn out. It just gets funnier and funnier. Especially when you're in. What makes it funnier for me is that what we happen to be talking about in between it. It's like this. So bare your soul, and then. <laughs> So it's all good. That was what I was look, really looking forward to about this, uh, about interviewing you, is I knew that we could, I knew we would have both. And I think that's what I, why I want to hang out with you more is because that's what I look for in a friend, is somebody who knows when to be serious and knows when it's okay to, to be silly. Yeah. Well, and, the roller coaster is the best thing in life. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish you weren't on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> many, many thanks to Todd. Uh, and I love hanging around him. Let's see. Um, be sure to um, check out his podcast, The Todd Glass. Uh, is it show or podcast? I'm not sure which one. You know what? Fuck him. He's got enough. He's popular enough. Let's make it all about me. Before I uh, take it out with some surveys, excuse me, I want to remind you there's a couple of different ways to su- support uh, the podcast if you feel so inclined. Uh, go to the website, mentalpod.com, and you can make a one-time PayPal donation or a recurring monthly donation, which uh, I really love because it helps keep the podcast going. Uh, you can sign up for as little as five bucks a month, and it means the world to me. Um, you can also help us by, uh, if you're going to buy something at Amazon, enter through the search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side about halfway down, not to be confused with the search portal for our site itself. By the way, if you're looking for an episode that has, a, you know, that's about uh, bipolar or borderline personality disorder, or any type of um, theme or issue, uh, type it in that search box uh, for the site. And that's a much easier way than scrolling through episode by episode um, and reading them. Uh, you can also support us by... Um, going to iTunes, writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating, or just spreading the word through social media. All those things uh, really, really help. Let's get to it. 
This is from the Shame and Secret Survey, and it was filled out by a guy who calls himself Roel Acosta, and uh, he is in his 20s, uh, asexual. Uh, we get quite a few people, uh, well, I suppose quite a few compared to uh, how many I... Uh, I don't know if I've ever come across somebody who who considers themselves asexual. So um, it's not frequent that that people fill it out, but there's more than I would have imagined. Anyway, he was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Um, Physically or emotionally abused, not sure. Uh, I was labeled the black sheep of my family at a very young age, so much so that my siblings treated me differently. If I wasn't the focus of admonishment, admonishment, Uh, I was not the focus at all. Often ignored and grounded, I spent most of my time sitting in my house avoiding eye contact. That sounds more than just slightly dysfunctional to to me. Uh, Any positive experiences with uh, your abusers? My parents aren't bad people, just people forced to be parents to a lot of kids at a young age, and I think that took their toll on them. I don't like to spend time with them because they have never, they have never, have anything for me just the weekly gossip about my siblings i think there was a typo darkest thoughts i've thought about driving off a cliff i've thought about all different ways of dying i wonder what would be said about me i have a good life resume veteran college grad working on a master's volunteer work blah 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 but nobody really knows me darkest secrets Uh, I'm asexual. I'm a good-looking guy, so people assume that I've been with many girls. I don't deny these assumptions when presented, and I've perpetuated them before by not saying it happened, but a sly smile can be convincing of a romantic conquest. So, no one knows about my sexual status. I really don't think anyone would understand. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Just making someone happy sexually is a dream. Uh, going back in time to all my failed relationships and being able to show those people some type of satisfaction. I was always happy, but I knew I would never be the kind uh, of happiness they were looking for at the end of the night, if only. What would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm sorry. I wish I was able to, but I can't. It's not you. It's me. Seriously. I don't think they would understand what goes on in my head when they are thinking about sex. I just want them to know that I meant everything I said. What, if anything, do you wish for? To be normal. Have you shared these things with others? I did once. She thought I was just saying it to get out of the relationship. Then she said she often thought she she was. Then she said she often thought she was. I wonder if he meant she often thought she was. Uh, knowing how frisky she could be, this was obviously a lie, and she just couldn't understand why I had to end things. This experience was with someone I only kind of care about. I could only imagine how this would go with someone I loved. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm crying. I'm glad I'm alone in here. I think I want a slice of pizza. God, do I love the listeners to this podcast. Um, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? There has to be a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Thank you so much for that. I can't imagine how difficult that must be, um, being asexual and wanting a relationship. Uh, And I think most people would be surprised. They would assume that somebody who's asexual doesn't want a relationship. And uh, it had never occurred to me, actually, until I read your survey that you could want one but not the other. And... um, 
sending you some love. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, and this was just uh, this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Name of a Cat, and what helps him uh, deal is, uh, well, his challenges are uh, opening up and letting people into his life. Um, He always feels as though people uh, don't actually like him, but they pretend to. And what helps him deal with it, he says, I enjoy regressing to an age where I was completely free. This would be called age play or infantilism, if you want to use the clinical term. I think about being a coherent two-year-old. All your needs are met, shelter, food, etc., and there are no demands put on you. It's not a sexual role for me. It's just a way to unwind, escape from stress and enjoy life with a different mindset at two years old you are the boss want to be fed cry Uh, and you will be want to nap cry out wanting to be changed the same at the same time there are no real expectations from you it's a wonderful way to spend a couple of hours put everything out of your mind and find peace this sort of role play has helped me open up a bit more to feel less vulnerable and gives me something to look forward to it's also cheap physically safe and doesn't involve drugs or anything else harmful Thank you for uh, thank you for saying that. Um, and I wonder if uh, um, I don't want to try to re- write this for you, but I'm always so encouraging people to feel vulnerable. And you writing, saying you know it helps me feel less vulnerable. I wonder if uh, a more accurate way would be that it, it helps you feel less unsafe, um, because vulnerability can feel unsafe, but vulnerability is so awesome. I hope that wasn't pushy of me. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Liberation Road. She writes, when I was first diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, I started going to group therapy. I was in my early 20s and really had no idea what was going on with me, so I was reluctant and nervous to go to therapy. In the first session, the group was going around introducing themselves and giving a summary of why they were in the group. About midway through, the lady sitting next to me introduces herself and says her strongest phobia is that someone will randomly throw up on her. I bust out laughing, which you can probably guess was highly inappropriate. Everyone in the group was staring at me like I just killed their dog. So now it's my turn to introduce myself and share something. I proceed to tell the group that my most uncontrollable and compulsive thought is that I will randomly throw up on someone. Everyone in the group snickered and saw why I had burst out laughing, except for the lady next to me. We never saw her after that first group session. Oh, I'm sorry she didn't come back, but that's fucking funny. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Secret Drunky Mom. That is an awesome name. She's bi, uh, bisexual. She's in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Uh, the classic, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. She writes, I had a babysitter who found my mom's vibrator. She, quote, showed me and my brothers how to use it. I can recall her masturbating in front of us. There was also an older boy in the neighborhood. I remember my younger brother and I playing outside with him. There was a big hill with some woods on the other side. No one could see you from the apartments when you were on the wood side. We were rolling down the hill with a neighbor, and he kept kissing me on the mouth. It made me feel really weird, and I didn't like it. I went inside, but I left my brother. I think I thought that he was safe because he was a boy. Shortly after, my little brother came in distraught and crying and said that Ronnie had made him suck his dick. My parents went down and confronted his parents. They said they would handle it. No police were called, and nothing happened after that. 
She's also been uh, physically and emotionally abused, and she did have positive experiences with uh, with her abusers. Um, darkest thoughts. I have sexual thoughts about children and young people. They are intrusive. It's not something I feel like I want, but sometimes thoughts pop into my head, and it seems the more I try to stop them, the more they won't go away. Um, what are your deepest, darkest secrets? Uh, pressuring my cousins and peers to do sexual things. I could tell that they often didn't really want to. This one haunts me. I try to remember that I was also a child, but I still feel shame and guilt about this one. You should definitely forgive yourself forgive yourself for um, doing that when you were when you were a child. Um, it's so it's so fucking important for us to to heal, no matter what no matter what we did to people. Um, sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Imagining that I am in a barn masturbating and some farmed, farmhand hottie is spying on me. He makes a noise and I hear him and then we start doing it. Would that still count if the noise was... Just a thought. Just want to know. I want to... I just want to... Uh, What's the word they use in, in the political spheres? I want to vet. I want to vet your uh, your fantasy out. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? Peace in my own mind. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, people are supportive. How do you feel after writing these things down? It's been strange to reflect upon these things. I may be more sexually dysfunctional than I realize. Um, thank you for sharing that. This is from the What Has Helped You survey. It was filled out by a woman who calls herself Hoping for Hope. And uh, her issues are depression, anxiety, binge eating, grief, and being overly emotional. And what helps her, she says, is going out into nature, walking by the beach, running in the woods, surfing, anything to do with nature and non-man-made non, non things. Say that fast ten times. Makes me realize how small my issues are, not in a way of invalidating them, but that there's so much more in the universe. So beautifully put. Thank you so much for that. And I love when you guys can just condense something into, like, a beautiful sentence. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Orange Orangey Red. And she writes, My dad died a few years ago. We didn't have a very active relationship, but I made a lot of peace with his emotional unavailability years ago. And I could see he was increasingly shutting down slash aging very quickly slash prematurely, which I took as a sign he was checking out at some level. So I wasn't that surprised by his sudden death. He had a heart attack, his third, and died instantly at age 62. His new wife and my extended family are all very religious, while my mom and I are not, at least not in the very traditional sense of that whole church-going world. My mom and boyfriend were there with me at the service, which was quite lovely, but then ended bizarrely with some students of my stepmother's doing a barefoot interpretive dance to contemporary Christian music. They swirled scarves around and hobbled around the way only Bible school attending 18-year-old religious girls in a religion where dancing is a sin can do. It was all I could do not to burst out laughing, and instead I squeezed my mom and boyfriend's hands and we all got the held-in-laugh sweats for the excruciating five-minute number. At the reception thing, my stepdad, who was hilarious and irreverent, said to me how moved he was by the service. He said, I hope when I die, I have seven virgins dancing on my grave. I laughed so loud, all of the gray hairs turned to stare at me. 
I really had quite a good time at that funeral and think about those dancing virgins all the time. Tim and Eric couldn't have done it better. <laughs> Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Mr. Lee. He's bisexual. He's in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, he writes, I have a faint memory of being in a dark basement when I was little. I know my mind has blocked out the painful memories, but it still doesn't stop the chills I get when I think about how young I was. Um, not sure if he's been physically or emotionally abused. He writes, I'm an adult. I know that people lose their shit every now and then. If I was emotionally or physically abused, I don't blame them. Life's hard. Any positive experiences with your abusers? There's tons of positive moments, which is why it's easy to see past the bad and forgive them. Darkest thoughts. I constantly think about causing people pain. Currently, my roommate is sitting on the couch, and I want to stab him in the leg with a pen, taking out him out of his virtual computer world and into the realest thing he's ever felt. I feel like we all live in a world where we're so far detached from our true emotions, whether it be fear, love, pain, or joy, Everything has been dulled down. And then he writes in caps, I just want to live life to its fullest. What are your darkest secrets? My deepest secret is that I don't care what happens to people. In every relationship where I've said, I love you or I miss you, I've never once cared. I play games with people's hearts and emotions because I need to know what it's like to give a damn. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you? I've written maybe 20 fantasies out, then erased them. I feel a little too fucked up to submit them. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my father, I feel sick to my stomach every time I have to say my last name because it reminds me that I'm your son. I thought when I was little, I wanted your love. Now that I'm not being manipulated by you, all I want is to read your obituary in the newspaper while I have my morning tea. What, if anything, do you wish for? To feel emotions. I'm so full of anger that I can't feel compassion, love, sorrow, or joy. Have you shared these things with others? No, I put up a great front, and I don't think anyone would believe me if I said I have problems. How do you feel after writing this stuff down? Still dull, slightly elevated heart rate. Well, I'm sending you some love, buddy. Um, I know what it's like to be angry and numb to anything else except anger or dread. And it's, uh, I suppose in some ways that's why getting sober, hitting my bottom with drugs and alcohol was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to, to really go deep and unearth all that uncomfortable shit. So um, I, I, I encourage you to uh, find a mental health professional and uh, start opening up. This is from the What Has Helped You survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Motor Mom, and her issues are loads and loads of anxiety and suicidal thoughts. And what has helped her? Being able to reach out to people, not feeling like I have to carry the burden on my own. Spending, well, it's fortuitous that this is right after Mr. Lee's uh, survey. I, I hope he listens to this episode and and what you're writing. Uh, being able to reach out to people, not feeling like I have to carry the burden on my own. Spending lots of time in the sun, Eating a sugar-carb, processed-free food diet. Finding activities and work that help me feel fulfilled. And trying to just be in the moment, even if it's painful or distressing. Working through it instead of trying to escape helps tremendously. Working on grounding myself instead of being in my head all the time. I should, I should post that up and lacquer it and frame it. That is uh, well put. 
This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself nervous about this, and he only partially filled this out. He's uh, bisexual. He's in his 30s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, uh, which I would disagree with, and you'll agree with me after I read um, the part he did fill out which seems much more than slightly dysfunctional to me. Uh, Have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse? He writes, yes, and I never reported it. And some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. And under that heading, uh, he elaborates, or actually maybe one of these is supposed to be in the, yes, it was, and I think this stuff with his mom is uh, not sure if it counts. Anyways. He writes, I was sexually abused at a daycare when I was very young. I remember it vividly and am triggered to the point of vomiting by certain smells related to those memories. I've told my wife and brother about this and no one else. I was so young that I don't know whether my family is aware of what happened. Although we did leave that daycare abruptly and they were hypervigilant about letting me be alone with unrelated people, we have never discussed it. On the other end of the spectrum, I had some experiences with my mother and grandmother that crossed boundaries and made me feel uncomfortable, but I don't think they got sexual pleasure from it. My mom would would tickle me on my upper thighs, play footsie under the table, or rest her hand on my upper leg when we were sitting on the couch. She would make comments about my body, including the size of my package, if she saw me in my underwear around the house. By the way, that is sexual abuse. There's no two ways about that. Sexualizing a child um, overtly like that is no less damaging than touching them. Because she's touching you with her eyes. And uh, it's gross. Uh, This continues to this day. I am 30 years old. Her mother, who lived with us, would casually brush her hand on my crotch occasionally and make no comment about it. She would claim that I had gotten too dirty playing outside and make me undress, including underwear, before coming in the house. She once insisted on giving me a bath when I was about 11, even though I had been bathing alone for years. She then made veiled comments to other family members about how much I had, quote, grown. It felt humiliating and emasculating, which I think was the point. My grandmother was on a power trip. I agree with you completely about all those things that you're thinking. The only thing I would disagree with is that it was, you say it was slightly dysfunctional. I think a home where there's sexual abuse is more than slightly dysfunctional, but I really relate to what you experienced very, very deeply. And um, it's taken me decades to call what happened to me um, to give weight to it. And I hope, I hope you can, um, again, go talk to somebody, and I'm pretty sure they will validate um, my, my thoughts on that. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy, um, transgender female to male, uh, who calls himself uh, Rostifer. And um, let's see, he is 30, and... He writes, I called my dad to ask if he would be out uh, with the unarticulated intention of using his garage to leave the car running in order to finally kill myself after considering the option for decades. In a rare moment of overt empathy, he asked what was wrong. In a way that can only be described as verbal diarrhea, I explained myself and why, finally at the end of my rope after spousal abuse. He suggested I go to an emergency room for help and he and he let me 
and he let me hang up without an I love you on either end. It was so sad. My dog came in to be with me as if to stand guard, so I decided to call the mental health line I programmed into my phone in case my mentally ill sister needed it. Another long story. As a last-ditch effort before finally ending it all. You know, just so I could say to myself that I tried everything. I pressed send and quickly heard a sexy voice instruct me to give my credit card number before getting started with our fun. I hung up and realized I had programmed 1-800 rather than 1-866 into my phone. I snapped out of the acute need to die. I couldn't kill myself knowing my last call was to a sex line. I haven't been that close to an attempt ever or since. Thanks, awfulsome moments. Oh, buddy, I want to give you a hug. I feel like I should, some of these really good, awful some moments, I feel like I should pay you guys for these because they bring me such happiness. Um, I think that's why I've always hated musical theater is because it's, I can handle the happiness, but it's got to have some darkness in it because otherwise, I, happiness just, saccharine happiness is like, Ugh. It, I just can't stand it. This is a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Saki in aluminum cans. And he writes, I've just returned from holiday in Japan. While there, I went into a traditional bathhouse. There's an etiquette to these places which involve thoroughly cleaning yourself beforehand not letting your hair touch the water, and most frighteningly to me, being completely naked in the bath. I am very, very unhappy with my appearance, and I was nervous about doing it before myself to do it. There were quite a few Japanese men there, but they basically ignored me. I stripped down, cleaned up, and got in the into the very hot water and sat. It was uncomfortably hot at first, but I quickly acclimated, and it was an oddly neutral sensation and completely enveloping. Soon it was like I was in space. I sat there with steam rising and Japanese chatter filling the air and felt, as paradoxical as this may sound, an exciting calmness. It was freeing just sitting there. I don't know if I was not being judged or was being judged and just didn't care, and it didn't matter which of those was true. Afterwards, I told my wife it was the most fun I'd ever had in a room full of naked Japanese men. I love that. I love when you guys paint a picture that's just so sublimely peaceful. Just love it. This is um, this is our last one, and this is uh, a couple of happy moments from a listener who calls herself Nim Harper, and um, she writes, and she's in her thirties, and she writes. Um, I've been a huge fan of Maria Bamford's for quite some time. In my early 20s, when my depression was so severe, it seemed impossible for me to smile or laugh ever again. There were only two people who could make me forget the fact that I was scared and sad all the time. She was one of them. Conan O'Brien was the other. She saved me from myself more times than I can count. I do not know if I would be here if it hadn't been for Maria Bamford. I've struggled with severe anxiety and depression my whole life, and there's a huge stigma against it in my family. My dad used to say that mental illness didn't exist, except in extreme cases, schizophrenia, dissociative identity disorder, etc. This is a guy who believed that all gay people are gay because they resented their parents for something or were, molest 
or were molested. I later found out that he was molested, and he's since dealt with it and with his antiquated thoughts towards homosexuality and mental illness. I'm very proud. One day after listening to Ask Me About My New God for about the sixth time, that's the name of one of uh, Maria's comedy albums, I googled tour dates and on a whim found out she was coming uh, to the improv five miles away from me. Uh, As always, I laughed hysterically, not only because she's the most original voice I've ever heard, but because when she spoke about what she calls her mentals, I feel less alone in the world. To know that someone I admire understands something with which I've struggled my whole life is one of the most validating, hope-inducing things I've ever experienced. I was so excited. I was vibrating. I decided that I had to thank her for everything she's done for me without even knowing it. I was kind of dizzy and feverish and terrified, but it became the most important thing in the world to me. I waited in the lobby, and the moment she came out, I just sputtered, hello, hello, and then forced myself to tell her just what I think of her. I told her she was awesome and to thank her for making me laugh when I felt like I'd never laugh again. She asked my name, then shook my hand, then I said something else I can't remember, and she hugged me. She hugged me, completely unbidden. She hugged me because she wanted to. My brain turned into an excited eight-year-old who has just been told she's going to Disneyland instead of school. I don't normally like to be touched by strangers, but she wasn't a stranger. Her voice and thoughts had been in my life so much and for so long that I felt like I knew her already. I was ecstatic. My face hurt from smiling. I felt like everything was awesome and I belonged in the universe. I had to go to the bathroom and cry a little bit, do some slow breathing and get myself together. By the time my friend and I left the bathroom, she was so supportive, I'm lucky to have her, people were lining up for pictures and autographs. My friend asked me if I wanted a picture. I said, no, I can't bother her again. She'll think I'm Mark David Chapman. After some convincing from her, we got in the picture line. When it was my turn, Maria said, oh, and said my name. And then I almost died. I started giggling uncontrollably. And because I'm super smooth and sophisticated, I said, my name just came out of your mouth. And she laughed. I made Maria Bamford laugh. Then I asked for a picture and we took one. I'm not smiling that hard in any other picture I own. I don't think I even smiled that hard in the pictures when I was a kid. My whole brain was full of happiness. I almost didn't know how to deal with it. Before we parted ways, she asked me if I listened to the mental illness happy hour, and I said yes. Full disclosure, Paul Gilmartin, I had only heard the Maria Bamford episode. However, when I got home that night, I downloaded a bunch of episodes and have been hooked ever since. Happy happy moment number two. The Bamford happy moment led me to countless happy moments listening to your podcast laughing while listening to other people who cope with my same problems, being happy and being told that I am not alone all at once. Listening to this podcast has done so much for me and it also inspired me to research low-fee mental health care in my area. I now officially have a therapist and that's the third happy moment. My whole life I felt like a can of soda that someone shook up really hard and then didn't open. That is such a fantastic image. Uh, Now I know that I get to talk to someone every week about my feelings in a safe environment with no judgment and no chance of it being thrown in my face later. I'd been thinking about joining a support group as well, and on Thursday, my therapist told me about a self-esteem support group, which I need because I do not like myself, starting up next Wednesday. Happy moment number four. Also, I was given a list of medical facilities that charge on a sliding scale, and I'm taking the first step towards getting a psychiatrist and medication. Happy moment number five. Whoa. 
I feel like Dory in Finding Nemo when she can't stop saying P. Sherman's address because she's so happy she can remember it. I feel like Grandpa Joe in Willy Wonka when he gets out of bed and sings, I've got a golden ticket. Obviously, it's not going to be all sunshine and lollipops, but knowing that I'm being proactive and taking steps towards getting better rather than just curling into the fetal position and listening to Billie Holiday makes me feel hopeful. I feel happy. I feel like someday I might get better. Sorry this was so long. I really jabbered on and on, didn't I? However, I know you like happy moments, so I hope you enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed reading every every word of that. That was beautiful and a perfect note to to end this episode on. And I hope if after I hope hearing the podcast and especially her her happy moments, you realize how much help and love there is out there in the world if we're, if we're willing to get out of our comfort zone. And um, I'm so glad I did because I know I'd be dead if I hadn't. And I know that I say that all the time. And if you're criticizing me, go fuck yourself. Uh, so you're not alone. Never forget that you are not alone. And thank you so much for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely